0: If you'd open up your Bibles, we're going to be continuing on in the Olivet Discourse. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be starting at verse 14 and going a pretty long passage all the way to 30. And last week we talked about uh, the parable of the talents, and we just kind of gave an introduction and and kind of camped on this whole deal where these are servants that went out with a talent. One was five, one was two, and one was one. But really the talent, the uh, servants were slaves, and that word is very much used about us as the, the body of redeemed in the church, is we have a slave relationship, but Jesus is a kind master. So now we're going to be going on past that, and even though I talked about slave language last week, I'm going to be using servant language because that's what's in the passage and it just keeps from getting a lot of confusion. So before we start, I'm going to read the passage and so we kind of know... Uh, what the passage has to say. And I'm going to be starting at uh, chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 14. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more, but the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them, and the man who had received the five talents brought the other five, and, Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in this passage, I want to I construct it this way, that the passage is a reflection of the people in the Church of the Redeemed is we could take a church this big, or we could take a church of thousands and thousands of people, and it's talking about those that are in the church, they're with, rubbing shoulders with the redeemed, they're in an environment where they hear the gospel, but it's not saying that every single person is saved. Just like with the servants, two were good servants, one was not. But they associated with each other, they were around each other, they were with each other. So it's that kind of uh, uh, approach that I'm going to be taking to this message. And it's maybe like the businessman who was starting a business, and he had been successful in other areas of business, and this is fictitious, and he went to this new office, and it was a really nice office, and and when he was looking out from his desk, he could see a window, and he was getting all of his stuff organized, and he could see someone through the glass, was ready to enter into his office, So he quickly picks up the phone, and he starts having a conversation. The guy walks in and stands in front of his desk, and he has this long and and involved conversation. It was clear that he was talking to the president, and he was answering questions, and they were getting to specifics of of what the president should do and he shouldn't do. And after quite some time, he ends up hanging up the phone, and he says, you know, I'm really sorry about that. that you had to wait. He says, that was the president. He says, what can I do for you? He says, oh, you don't have to do anything for me. He says, I'm here to hook up the phone. <clears throat> the reason I bring that up is there are people that believe they're having a conversation with God, but the phone's not hooked up. And they look really good in church, and they do the right things, and they show up at the right places, and, and they're, they're, they're rubbing shoulders with the right people, and man, they're having a really good conversation with God. they got a great relationship with God, only the phone's not hooked up. And so we laugh at that, but it's true. There are people that don't have the phone hooked up. The Lord is simply saying, "I'm coming back, and when I come back, I'm going to separate the true from the false." And we've seen the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen the Sermon on the Sea, and now the Olivet Discourse. And we've had the good and the bad foundation, the wheat and the tares. We've had the virgins, the good virgins, and the bad virgins. We we have had oh, we've had more that we we're going to be talking about the sheep and the goats next week we've had the good soil, we've had the bad soil. We have all of these, and it all reflects separation. One day there's going to be a separation, and Jesus is giving it in so many different pictures. In fact, I counted seven different pictures that Jesus gave us, and all of them have to do with separation one day. And he's saying, be ready, be aware, be alert. The parable of the virgins was all about watching, waiting, and being alert. But the, par- the parable we just read with the talents is it means that while we're alert, while we're waiting, we also should be busy working, serving, and being productive. That's the two contrasts between these two. So as you'll see in your notes, the first point is the responsibility that we receive. And you look at the first servant, he got five talents, the next one got two, the next one got one. The five and the two, it says that they immediately went out and they began to invest it and to, to, to promote it and see if they could be making more. And they were each given, it's really important, they were each given according to their ability the master knew how much the servant should get. So he gave one five, and he says at once he put his money to work. And in verse 17, the second one also went out and put his money to work, which is exactly what they should do. Uh, we went through that last week, but the, the talents that I said in the biblical passage have to do with a unit of weight. It was anywhere from 75 pounds to 100 pounds uh, in, in Revelation 16, right at the very end of the chapter, it talks about the hailstones. I mentioned last, last week, hailstones would come down. It says they were a, a, a talent in weight, and the uh, translation of that was 100 pounds. In other places, it was reduced to somewhat of 75 pounds uh, because it was considered the most that a normal worker could lift and carry. So you take your pick. It's going to be anywhere from 75 to 100 pounds, but in our culture, a talent is a gift, an ability to do something. And in this particular application of the talent, it has to do with opportunity and privilege. And because of our opportunity and our privilege, we have responsibility. So the first two guys, they got the five and the two, they took the opportunity and the privilege and they immediately went out. What did the next guy the last guy do? Says, but the man with one received the one talent, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Remember, in our setting, the the impact of this parable has to do with opportunity, privilege equals responsibility. That's what it means. Now we're just filling in the blanks of being responsible for what? We get we have Privilege and opportunity when it comes to books or college, Bible studies, podcasts, radio, television, preaching, picket. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. That is our opportunity and our privilege. And as I said last week, in this particular setting, if you want to use the weight measurement, we all have a very heavy bag. Because we have so much opportunity And so much privilege. So, we have what I would say, I think I'm correct in saying saying this, we have maximum exposure to the gospel, and we have maximum exposure to redeemed people, to save people. We do. The next one, the reaction that we have. As I said, they immediately went out. They immediately uh, put it to work, except for the guy that had the one, and he hid it in the ground. And that harkens back to the Matthew 13, 44 passage, which was a Sermon on the Sea. And that had to do with hiding money in the ground. 13th right here. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. And I told you you then, I don't expect you to remember it, but I told you then that the, the, the law in that particular day is if you bought a field and you started to cultivate the field because it was normal for people to go out and bury money in the field, and they would triangulate it, or they would somehow measure it, and they knew where it was at, well, then somebody would die, or they would sell the field, or they forgot, or any number of things would happen. But that treasure would remain there, and the law in that particular time was, if you bought a field, you're cultivating the field, and you find this treasure, you can come back and buy it, and now it's yours, and you have not stolen it. So it happens sometimes, but it was, it was common. They would hide them in uh, holes in trees. They'd hide them in the ground, but you had to triangulate it right, otherwise you'd lose it. But we saw one time, and, and this was at the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. I always, I always love bringing these things up because I love it when prophecy comes to pass, and I love it how it comes to pass. Uh, another thing that the Jews did, it was in about in AD 70, is they didn't customarily do it, but because Titus, a Roman general, came and surrounded Jerusalem, there was a lot of factions and fighting going on with the Jews, like what's new? But they did, and Titus came in there, and because Titus was a threat to the the economy, although they were having a famine, it was that one time where the Jews took a whole lot of gold and silver, and where did they hide it? They hid it in the temple. hid it in the temple, and that's how the prophecy became fulfilled in Matthew 24, and when Jesus says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. Do you see these? The disciples said, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple. Titus surrounds the city of Jerusalem. The, the Jews inside feel threatened because the Romans are going to come in and take the city. They, they, they knew that the temple was safe, so they hide a vast amount of gold and silver in the temple. And what do the soldiers do? They burn the temple. What does that do by burning it? The gold and silver melt. It goes in between the stones. And later on, the soldiers and other scavengers came, and they took every single stone apart to get the gold, which fulfilled the prophecy that there will not be one stone left upon another. Love those stories. Love those where you see prophecy being fulfilled to the letter. So, going back to the parable of the talents, yes, you had a guy here that got the one and he hit it in the ground. Not totally uncommon. And this person that hit it in the ground describes an unbeliever. He did nothing. He made no effort. There's no fruit and there's no inward grace. He had been given limited exposure to the gospel and limited opportunity, but he was still held accountable. That's really important. He had very little exposure, very little opportunity, but he was still held accountable. Now, you and I could look at the the servant that had the five talents, and if Jesus had said to the guy that got the five talents, you wicked and lazy servant, I gave you five talents and you wasted it. You go, yeah, you ought to whack him because look how much he wasted. He was given so much. He he shouldn't have squandered it. But that isn't the case. Jesus took the servant that had the least amount, the least exposure, the least opportunity, and he was the one that got punished. He had little opportunity but was equally responsible. The one most likely to to be excused is not excusable. The Lord highlighted that the one level person, the person that gets very little, has hell in store for them if they don't use the opportunity that they have been given. They may have limited privilege, but they still need to use that opportunity that they've been given. If your opportunity is limited, your responsibility is limited, but you have to do something with it. The next one, the reckoning we face. The reckoning we face. This is a commercial term, that word reckoning. It means to compare accounts. One day the Lord is going to be coming back, and in the in the, the parable it's a master went on a long journey. Well that is representative and illustrative of Jesus Christ coming on earth and he ascended into heaven and he is gone for a while and we are left here on earth with opportunity and privilege and what are we going to do with it? And one day he is going to return. And he's going to either either it'll be the second coming or else we'll just die and then we'll eventually uh, be at the judgment. And, and I say judgment, it's judgment for those that have, have fear, a fear of being judged. They're not believers. That is judgment for a person that is a believer. It's not judgment. It's being given rewards. When you know that you have done right, you're not being judged in a bad sense. You're being judged in a good way. Is you've done well. We're going to judge what you've done and you've done well. That's why they say, well done, good and faithful servant. The time of reckoning will be when hearts are revealed, when you evaluate service rendered, and you'll find out who the true servants are. Remember, I talked to you, that there's seven different contrasts in there, the good foundation, the bad foundation, the wheat and the tares and the virgins, and it gives all of these illustrations. All has to do with a reckoning. There's going to be an accounting. The books will be open and see, what have you done with what you had? We have, we have in scripture where Paul says in one place, he says, he will have boldness in the day of judgment. John says, he will not be ashamed at the coming of the Lord. Why is this that they would say this? Because those that have used their opportunity and their privilege, they have something to show for what they've been given. Is there kind of, it's kind of like you're filled with excitement going, I have used Faithfully and well, what God has given to me, and I don't have any fear of His coming, but I have kind of anticipation that I'm going to be rewarded for what He has given me. And in this passage, you see, you see that there was three things that the 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 person, the, the servant with five and the with with two each received. There was three things. They were they was it was said verbally. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's one. I will put you in charge of many things, that's two, and then they will come and share your master's happiness, meaning you get the joys of heaven. So there's a three-pronged thing. So Paul and John, they're saying when you don't have any fear of judgment, when you know you have done well with what you've been given, you can anticipate that there are good things that are going to be happening. In the future, in the good judgment. But if you have not used what God has given you, yeah, you have a fear of judgment. When you see John and Paul, when they're saying what they said, there's no ego, there's no boasting, there's no pride. They just knew that the source of all their privilege and opportunity was the Lord. 2 Timothy, I want to read just a little part of it. It says, for I am, this is Paul, he says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed or all who have loved for his appearing. What does that mean? We don't see any boasting. There's no pride. Paul is saying, listen, I've done my best. And when I stand before the Lord, he is going to give me a crown of righteousness. He's a righteous judge. He's a good judge. And I know that he is going to reward me for what I've done. So for believers, it should not be a time of fear. For unbelievers, well, that's another topic. Let's go on. Rewards for believers are going to basically be greater opportunity for service. There are a lot of questions of what are we going to do in heaven, and what's heaven going to be like, and and I certainly can't even attempt to to answer all the things that, that those questions imply. But I can tell you that we're not going to be sitting around on clouds and playing harps. That we are not going to do. because And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, for one thing... In this parable, it says, the parable, the guy that was given five talents, the guy that had two talents, they were given more, which means more responsibility, more opportunity to work in the Lord's service. But even if you go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he says they tended the garden. They just didn't sit around. Now, I don't exactly know what that all meant, but they had stuff. Do even if it was naming the animals, but this I do know is the work. If you want to call it work, the activity that we're going to be having is going to be absolutely fulfilling. It's going to, it's not going to be like I worked all day and I just didn't get much done, it's not like that. It's going to be absolutely fulfilling. And that is the implication here in this, in this parable as well, is there's going to be things that need to be done, and how much we do now or how little we do now is going to affect how little or much we do in the future. Verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Oh, boy. This This is a description of the final servant. He produces nothing, and he attacks the character of his master proving that he does not love or respect the master. He says, I knew that you were a hard man. And when it says hard man, that is the word scleros. And this word scleros has a journey. Scleros is from which we get the word sclerosis. And from that word we get arterial sclerosis, and everybody knows arterial sclerosis is hardening of the arteries. That's where we get the word so, you were a hard man, a scleros, a hard guy. That is the, the implication of the word, and he's accusing his master of being rigid and unmerciful and unkind. The servant's living out of fear. He does nothing with what he's been given. But I want, I want you to take note this is not a story, this, this last servant is not a story of an evil vile, wretched life. It's not. It's not describing an evil, vile person. It is describing a person that lived for himself, and he didn't do any of the opportunity that was given. He just lived the way he wanted to live, and he didn't give a second thought to who created him or to who his master was. He didn't give a second thought. And that is the way it's going to be for some people, they say, you know, religion was just too hard for me. And God just required too much of me. And you know, He wanted me to come to church. And boy, that tithing thing, that really rubbed me wrong. I don't, I didn't want to do that tithing thing. And then, of course, if you didn't go to church every Sunday, then people would say, well, where were you? You know, we saw, you know, that religion thing is just too hard. God, you're just a hard master. You're a scleros. You know, you're just a hard and rigid guy. You're just unmerciful. And and all the requirements of coming to church, you know, I'm just out. I'm just out. And that's going to happen one day. People consider God to be too rigid and too judgmental. And what what did the guy say here? He says, I knew you were harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. You know what he's saying? You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you steal from everybody else's crops. You're a thief. That's what you are. You're not only a hard man, you're a thief. Well, if we were to talk in our circles right now, and we were to talk about Jesus is unloving, and he's not compassionate, he's not merciful, and he really doesn't care about you, you'd say, you know what, I don't know who you've been listening to, but that's not the God I serve. The God I serve is merciful and compassionate and loving and caring. And he died for our sins. And in other words, what Jesus is saying here, says, you know what, you're a liar. You didn't know me at all. You say I'm hard and I steal from other people. You've been around other servants. You've heard other servants talk about the master. You've heard what they had to say. You just needed to come up with an excuse. When you finally had Judgment Day arrived, you just had to come up with something. And the the guy that hid his talent in the ground, he says, I was afraid. Well, what was he afraid of? What was he afraid of? Well, it's it's, it's kind of two-part. On the one part, he was afraid that if he took the one talent and he put it to work and lost it, then he'd be punished. But if he put the talent to work and he gained another talent, Well, then God, his master was just going to come and take the talent anyway. So he felt like he was going to lose both ways. So I was just afraid. So I figured the best thing to do is just leave the money as is. I won't gain any. I won't lose any. Just play it safe and just give it to you as is. Now, in response, Jesus says, you wicked Lazy servant. Now, I want you to stop there. This is the guy that's had minimal opportunity, minimal exposure, minimal uh, opportunity, and he says, I just was afraid, and, and I didn't want to lose it, and I didn't want you to take what I gained, so I just gave it to you as is. And in response, Jesus says, you wicked Lazy servant. Now, wouldn't you think Jesus would have said, whoa, 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 you poor individual. Your theology is just mixed up. Let let me straighten you out here. Here, Here's what you really... No, no, no. He didn't cut the guy any slack whatsoever. He calls him wicked and lazy, and he was wicked because he lived life on his own terms and didn't give a second thought to the master, and he was lazy because he didn't put his money to work. Jesus didn't cut him slack by saying, Oh, you just didn't understand the Bible right. You just didn't understand what it really meant. No, he didn't. Even though he had little responsibility, little opportunity, he was still held fully accountable for what he did have. Jesus is saying, You should have put the money in the bank. And let it draw interest instead of burying it in the ground. And frankly, if you think about it, I've been doing a lot of digging this week at home. I had a bunch of stuff to do, and I'm digging holes in the ground and I'm thinking about this passage. And uh, do and you know what? Jesus is saying it'd been a lot easier for you to just take the money to the bankers, you put it in an account, you sign a few documents, you walk away and you don't have to think about it again. It's all done. It was harder for him to dig a hole. And put the money in there, and and, and remember where it was. So, then for him, to just take it down to the banker, put it in the bank, sign a couple documents. It all that also reflects his mindset. Is he needed an excuse? So he brought, went up, and figured, well, this ought to work. And by the way, especially in proverbs, wickedness and laziness are always linked. They're always linked. Many, many times in scripture, like I said, especially in proverbs. Uh, Let's go on. The final the final point is the reward we receive. The person that had the one talent that he squandered, it says take away his privilege, take away his gospel opportunity, and give it to those, to the one that had the five. Now why he gave it to the one that had the five and not the one that had the two, I don't know. I don't know but all I know is that if you're a phony and you think that you're going to get by the judgment seat of God in in that final day, you won't. Whatever you think you have will be taken away. For it says here, it says, the ones who have demonstrated fruit, the ones who have used their privilege and used their opportunities, they will receive more. They will have an abundance. That's That's what it says in here. They will have an abundance. But from the one who has but from the one who has not shall be taken away even what he has. And the implication there is he doesn't really have it, but what he appears to have will be taken away from him. And what happens to that servant that buried his one talent? It says, and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and that, closely aligns with Matthew 22, when there's a sermon on the sea, is talks about uh, the wedding banquet. And if you remember in the wedding banquet, it goes, it goes on, and I'm going to shorten it, the way, wedding banquet, people were called to the banquet, and they went to the highways and byways and the corners, and, and they invited everyone to the wedding banquet of the master. And finally the people arrived, and the master shows up into the wedding banquet, and it says here, and when the king came in to see the guests, those that were invited to the banquet, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and there is an absolute identical similarity between the two. It says, throw them into darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in 1 John 1, verse 5, it says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And it says that hell is darkness, that is the absence of God, a place that he will never be. And a person that is in hell, that is one half of it, is to be utter darkness, and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I believe in part that weeping and gnashing of teeth will be the memory that you had a chance, that you were told and that you willfully and intentionally rejected the free gift of Jesus Christ. So now you're in utter darkness and knowing God is never going to occupy that space because he is pure light and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth that you'll never have a second chance, ever. The same ending was both the wedding banquet and with this and this talents uh, parable, is its exact wording. Throw them into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, to sum it up, in the kingdom and in the church, in the assembly of the redeemed, the people that are right here, there's going to be those who are prepared and serving the Lord, and there's going to be those who are unprepared and who outwardly may be active but are not ready for his coming. And when the Lord comes, there will be a separation based on their service rendered to him and all excuses are set aside. And I want to end with just a few short verses. In Hebrews it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In 2 Corinthians it says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And finally, from Isaiah, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And that is the message of the gospel. And all of us are held accountable. And if if hypothetically we were to take our talent and just bury it in the ground and say, hey, you know, I really didn't know. You're just a hard guy. So I just, I just didn't do anything with it. He'd say, no, no. You had full exposure. You rubbed shoulders with the redeemed. You had all kinds of opportunity, whether it be from this pulpit or from a host of other sources out in the world. You had every opportunity to hear what I was like, and you rejected it, you wicked and lazy servant. Today is the appointed time, the acceptable time, the opportune time, the privileged time. Don't waste your opportunity. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to close in prayer. The Father, we just thank you for your word and the clarity of it and how each passage relates to another passage so that we can clearly see what your intentions are in this in the Bible, whether it be this passage or or broader passages. Father, we thank you that you have left us with an account, that we know what you expect, that we know what you want, and may our hearts be softened to your word and realize that today is the acceptable time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. Father, we ask that people would respond, that your Holy Spirit would prompt people to come to the Savior, bend the knee, in repentance and forgiveness so that they can receive salvation. We pray this in your name.